James 1, 13 through 15. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. James 1, 13 through 15. It reads, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Tonight, I want to focus on that word right there, desires. What are our desires tonight as a church? What are our needs? What are our wants tonight as a church? What are our wants, our desires when the enemy comes in and attacks us? What are our desires at that moment? James 1, I'm not going to go into points, but James 1, it breaks down our faith being put under pressure. It talks about our trials and our temptations creeping in on our lives on a daily basis. And what are we going to do at that moment? What are we going to desire? What are we going to want at that, that moment when the enemy comes in and attacks us? What are we going to desire at that moment? It break down, it break, James 1 breaks down the actions during our trials. It shows a role of how our desires play as our lives are lived. Sometimes uh, in life, well, every day in my life, I used to go, man, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow this situation to happen? Why did you allow me to go so far into sin? God, 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 why, why, why? I used to say, God, why did you let this happen? It says right here, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God will not tempt you. God will not throw a situation in your life that you can't handle. The enemy will throw something in your life that you can't handle, that you that he may say, I'm going to throw this situation, I'm going to throw this woman, I'm going to throw this job that you have to work on a Sunday or a Thursday night or a life, a life group. I'll throw this in your way, and God's going to be like, okay, the enemy may have done this. The enemy may, may have tempted you, but now I'm going to test you. I want to see where your faith is. I want to see what your desires are. God will not tempt you, but he will test you. What are your desires tonight? Are your desires to seek more of God or are desires to seek more of the world? Are desires to seek more of what God wants for us or more of what the world wants for us? I was reading real quick before I close. I was reading this um, this little illustration online. It says, a master was meditating by the river. When a young man interrupted him, the young man said, Master, I want to become your disciple. The master asked why. He said, because I desire, I want to find God. So the master got up and grabbed the young man by his neck, grabbed him and took him to the water, plunged his head under the river, after holding, them for, holding him there for a few moments, the young man began kicking and struggling to free himself. The master finally pulled him out of the water. The young man caught his breath of air, gasping to breathe, his lungs aching. When he caught his breath, the master said, what did you want most of all when you were under the water? The young man said, air. And the master said, okay, go home and come back when you desire God as much as you desired that breath of air. Tonight some of us, tonight some of us were still under that water. We still don't want to desire God. We're still stuck under that water. Tonight 
God, he, uh, my dad, my father, he desired at one moment of his life, he desired to be stuck under that water. He desired to be stuck under that water. It says right here, then after desires had conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. My dad's desires at that moment, years later, led him to death. Because of the desires he chose at that moment, my desires after my dad passed away were to hurt my wife, well, my girlfriend at the time, was to hurt Jaden, was to hurt my mom, was to lust to come into my life. My desires was to drink, was to get high. Today, take Derek's bike. I don't know if Derek knows, but I would take his bike. I would take his bike, go to the quick stop, and get as many tall cans as I can because that was my desire. I was hurt. I was vulnerable. Those were my desires at that time. Tonight, church, as I end with this, as I come in for a landing, what are your desires tonight? What are your desires tonight as a church when the enemy comes in and attacks? What are your desires? What are you going to do at that moment? What are you going to do at that moment? What are your desires tonight? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. God, I pray, God, that this word, God, used through me, God, touches your people, God. God, that at the end of this service, God, their desires, their wants, their needs, God, will be more for you and less of the world, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 6. It's a very familiar story. And I've entitled this message, Simon Says. Simon Says. Let me remember that game. Simon Says. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. I could stop right there, but I want to continue to read. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and while he was reclining at the table. Simon the leper. Let's pray. Father, have your way. Continue to move and do what you want to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask each and every one of us in this room, by a show of hands, how many of you would like to change something maybe that you've had with you since birth? Most, if not all of us, would raise our hand, right? I mean, I think in general that most would say that they have just as much stuff about them that they like, or excuse me, just as much stuff about them that they don't like as as much stuff as they do like about themselves. And, you know, in recent uh, polls, I was actually, as I was studying for this, I was looking up uh, some of the polls in one of the Harris polls, it said, I want to read a few statistics to you. It says that 31% of people are actually happy with themselves. That's less than one in three. So that means that two in three, or two out of three, which is like 69%, are not happy with themselves. Listen to this. Four in five men are unhappy with their bodies. 61% are not happy with their current job, right? It's a common belief that only about 50%, that's only half of Christian marriages will make it. This is according to the Harris Polls, right? The other half will end in divorce. It says that seven in 10 women or girls feel that they're not good enough in some way, right? Only 2%, this is crazy right here, only 2%, of women actually think they're beautiful. Only 2%. 
And here's another one that, that, that was just amazing to me. It says, while most men, when they've been asked to rate themselves on a scale of one to 10, most of them rate themselves a seven. But in reality, most of them are only a three. Come on, tell a brother next to you, you're only a three. <laughs> Come on, tell a brother next to you, calm down, you're only a three, bro. <laughs> so in all these polls and statistics, that's hilarious, I find that it's funny. In all these polls and statistics, there's an overwhelming feeling that people are unhappy with themselves, right? People are unhappy with themselves. They're unhappy with where they're at in life right now. You know, I also don't believe that maybe, you know, just these feelings are just for the unsaved. I don't think it's limited to just unbelievers. In fact, I think a large majority of Christians today are unhappy with who they are right now. Hear me now. Now, before we move on from here, okay, before we go anywhere and move on from here, let's establish some facts, all right? In Ecclesiastes 7.20, also in Romans 3.10, it tells us that not one of us is righteous, right? So it's safe to say that none of us measure up to God's righteousness, right? It also says in Romans 3.22 that, uh, that basically any righteousness comes through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? So... That's for all the, the you know, the, uh, the scholars listening, right? What I'm saying is that if we have any righteousness in us, it's because of Jesus Christ, right? It's because of his sacrifice on the cross that each and every one of us has any kind of righteousness, right? It's what I'm trying to say in this whole, uh, this whole thing about people feeling bad about themselves is this, that I believe that sometimes as Christians, we can be trying so hard to be something that we're not holy, right? That we end up hating who we are now in the process. Hear me now. Stay with me on this. We could, hate, we could end up hating ourselves. We could end up feeling that we're inadequate now. Let me say this. Let me say it this way. We hear from sometimes well-intentioned disciples, right? That this is how a man or a woman of God acts or does things. Right? Or we hear a fire message on holiness. But then day in and day out, most of us, we don't see ourselves hitting that mark. And so who wouldn't feel unhappy about where they are, where they are in this process? Right? It's, it, it's almost a common feeling. See, there's a thin line between unsatisfied and unhappy. There's a thin line. Unsatisfied says, I'm not there yet. But unhappy says, I'll never get past this. Listen to me. In a ministry like ours, like Victory Outreach, it's very important for us to understand the power of identity. See, our admission statement even has, has to do with identity. It talks about us getting our dignity back. See, my question is this. How can we, me and you, have our dignity if we're unhappy with ourselves? Hear me now. I'm talking to Christians. I'm not just talking to unbelievers. How can we have our dignity if we're unhappy with ourselves, right? And here's the million-dollar question of tonight. How many of us are unhappy with who we are and where we're at in this process? Because we're all in a process. We're all in a process. Now, in our opening scriptures, we see the beginning of a very famous story, right? This is a story that it's told throughout four Gospels. It's told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the woman who pours out her perfume, right? Most of us are, are super familiar with that story. We've heard several messages on it. And each gospel tells the story just a little different, but it's the same story. 
And basically, we know that this woman comes and, you know, Jesus is having dinner. And, you know, she pours out this expensive perfume, which was about, a, you know, a year's wages, they say. And the focus is always about the woman. But tonight, that's not my focus. Tonight, my focus is who in the world is Simon the leper? Right? It says, when it opens up, it says that Jesus, when he was in Bethany, that he went to this house of a man named Simon the leper. He was known as Simon the leper. See, just the mention of his name, it presents a problem immediately. Let me tell you why. He had leprosy. So if this man was known as a leper, one, what was he doing living in town, right? Secondly, what was everybody doing over his house? Here was a man who was diseased. So most people would read past this, right? Just kind of blow past Simon the leper. Okay, they're over there. But why in the world would this be in the scriptures? Why would they make it a point to let us know that they were down a leper's house or somebody that was known as a leper, right? But here was Jesus with his disciples, with other Pharisees, with a crowd of people eating at Simon the leper's house. So I studied just about every, as soon as I read that, it stood out to me because I didn't understand it. I didn't understand who, the Simon, who Simon the leper was. So in studying just about every commentary and history book that I could, this is, I'm going to give you the edited version, right? I'm going to give you the short version of who Simon the leper was. Let me give you a little history on Simon the leper. Simon was believed to be, well, not believed to be, he was a Pharisee who somehow had ended up with leprosy. We don't know how, but he had ended up with leprosy. And he had come in contact with Jesus at some point of Jesus' ministry and been healed, right? You can actually read it for yourself, right? He had been healed. The healing itself was not recorded. The healing itself was not recorded, but Simon himself continued on as a Pharisee, right? You can find it in Luke. But a believer in Jesus, he continued on. You hear me now? He started as a Pharisee, got leprosy, Jesus healed him, and so after his healing, he continued on as a believer, but he was still a Pharisee, right? And in Luke, we see that Simon invites Jesus to his home. He invites him over for dinner. Now, we don't really know what Simon's purpose was in inviting Jesus. He might have just been grateful because Jesus had healed him. He was with the other Pharisees. Maybe they asked him to do it. We really don't know, right? But we do know one thing. In seeing and reading the story in Luke, we know that Jesus wasn't done with Simon just yet. He wasn't done with him just yet. He had healed him of leprosy, but he wasn't done with Simon's character yet. See, what a condition leprosy to, you know, what a state to be in or to come back from. Think about that for a minute. I mean, who knows how long leprosy had eaten away and destroyed Simon's body, mind, and will. Who knows? Yet at the dinner, Simon stood before everybody as a Pharisee, right? But what was in Simon's mind? Can you imagine after having gone through that disease, we, we, we've met several cancer survivors, right? And we know that diseases affect your mind, right? The, the stress of it. Who knows what was in his mind? Who knows what Simon was feeling? Who knows the inadequacy, the unhappiness that he was still battling with? We really don't know. You know, there's some ways for us as a church or as a ministry or as a ministry leader sometimes to gauge whether people are unhappy with themselves in your ministry. Can I give you a few? There's a few things that you can kind of gauge when it comes to unhappiness. 
when you want to check to see if, if people around you or people in your ministry or even people in the church are unhappy, the first thing you want to check is the involvement. People usually go where they feel worth something, right? People attempt what they feel they can reasonably do. So if you have an issue with involvement within your group or within your minister, whatever it is, usually there's unhappiness there. There's unhappiness, not necessarily in the group, but in the people. But in the people, I think sometimes we mistake a crowd for growth, right? I've been guilty of that several times. We mistake a crowd for growth. You always want to look around to see who's doing stuff because they want to, not because you told them to or you asked them to. You always want to look at that. Another way to kind of gauge if people are unhappy is you want to check people's tone or attitude. You know, as a father and as a husband and even as a leader, I personally have had to learn the meaning of the word no. Come on, husbands, say amen, right? I have had to learn the meaning of the word no. Isn't it so hard to hear, no, I don't want to? Come on, somebody, you guys are leaving me all alone here. <laughs> Isn't it so hard to hear, maybe, right? It's hard. But see, what I've learned is no what it really means sometimes is I don't feel adequate enough. Sometimes no means I don't feel qualified or it means I'm scared to fail or fail again. See, no, you always want to check a person's tone or an attitude because sometimes no really isn't no. It's just I don't feel worthy enough to do it. Another way to check or to gauge if people are unhappy is this. Check what people are saying repeatedly. Take the time to hear people, hear their fears and concerns and hesitations because people voice them often, right? Again, I'm not saying this because this is something that I've mastered. This is something I'm learning even myself. Sometimes we just don't stop and listen. We really don't. We hide sometimes our own stubbornness behind phrases like, well, you just got to have faith, bro, right? Or sister, you just got to have faith. See, today I want to propose to you an idea. Is who you are really so bad? Is who you are really so bad? I mean, why did God make it a point, not once but twice, to refer to Simon, known as a leper, even after he had been healed? Even afterwards. Why did God make it a point for us to read it, not once but twice? Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you. See, make no mistake that it was God himself who made you just how he wanted you to be. It was God himself who gave you your personality. It was God himself who gave you likes and desires and gifts. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork. I like that word right there. You're God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were made to do good works. Just like this water bottle right here was made to bring refreshment, right? That's what it was made for. And I'll drink it in a minute, all right? It was made for that. It was made for that. Psalms 139, 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every part of you was planned. No part of you was by accident. No part of you was by chance. 
See, Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, Lord, God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It was God's will that you exist. It was God's will and for him that you are here now. See, it was God's will. So I propose to you this. Is it really all that bad to be you? Huh? Knowing that God made you with such love and such care, giving you gifts, giving you personality, giving you strengths and giving you talents. Is it really that bad to be you? Sure we stray. Sure we fail. Sure we get it wrong sometimes. Huh? I could write a book on that. But you're exactly who God wants you to be. You're exactly who he wants you to be. He just wants you to understand who you are. He just wants you to understand who he created you to be. That's it. See, you don't buy a Chevy Tahoe and try to make it a Honda Pilot. <laughs> you know, right? What do you do? You put gas into that Tahoe and you use it as a Tahoe, right? See, it's the same way in Christianity or the same way serving God, right? You don't try to be something that you're not. You don't. Right? You get the Holy Spirit inside of you and you be who God created you to be. Right? That's, see, that's why I love this church. Because this is why I fit in a church like this. Right? Because there's only one me. Right? There's only one me. And only I can do what God created me to do. Huh? In this city, in this church, and in this world. And thank God for a ministry like ours that allows me to be me. Huh? I remember when, when I used to be running around in a backslidden state, I remember I'd get phone calls from my mom, and she would tell me all the time. She would do it all the time in the craziest of moments. She would say, hey, I got a message for you. Call me. And so I would call thinking maybe I got mail or something, and she'd be like, hey, I just talked to Pastor Josie. I go, oh, man, <laughs> right? And she goes, she wanted me to let you know she always has a place for you here. And it would hit me. I mean, I'd be doing crazy stuff. And she would tell me, I always have a place for you here. I always have a place. I always have a job for you. I always have a spot for you, Eric. See, this ministry specializes in what I'm talking about. And this is why you fit in this church. Because nobody can be you. Nobody can do what God has ordained for you. See, it's not about being good enough. It's about connecting with God and allowing him to bring out who he created you to be. That's what this is about. It's about who you've always been. Remember, he's created you from birth with who he wanted you to be, right? As the years have gone on, sure, we've maybe muddied it up a little bit, but we're, we're everything God wanted us to be. We're everything God wanted us to be. You've always been a winner, huh? You've always been God's choice. You've always been enough, always. Simon, see, God had always loved Simon. God healed Simon to get Simon where he was supposed to be all along. That's what it was about. However, even after all that, right, Simon the leper, he chose the lesser path and returned to being a Pharisee. Simon should have became a disciple. But Simon returned to be a Pharisee. Hear me now. See, Simon, he believed in Jesus. I mean, he was even thankful to Jesus, right? Who wouldn't be thankful if you got healed of a disease like that, right? 
But see, at the dinner, something special happens. Something unique happens. And Simon, the Bible says, right, we, we know the story that the sinful woman is believed to be Mary, which is Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister, right? And you can study for this yourself. Everything I'm talking about, it's, it's really, really interesting. But, you know, something happens in Luke. We see this Simon, he's watching the whole scene. He's watching this woman pour out the, the perfume. And the Bible says that he thinks. He doesn't say it, but he thinks. Man, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know that this woman is sinful, the woman that's touching him. And the Bible says that Jesus responds to his thought. Careful what you think. Careful what you think. Jesus sometimes will respond to what you're thinking, right? And he responds to him. And he tells Simon, Simon, I want to tell you something. And then he goes on to tell Simon a parable, right? We're talking about the same guy. Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee, same guy. And what he does is he tells him a parable. Another parable you're probably familiar with. He says there's two people that have been, they were in debt. One owed 500 and another one owed 50. Remember this parable? And he tells them, both of them couldn't pay it. But the person who was owed the money forgave them both. And he asked them, he says, Simon, which one of the two would have been more grateful? Well, he says, obviously, the one who owed more. And he says, that's why this woman's doing what she's doing. Now, we may think that he's highlighting the woman, and he is. He is. But what he's really saying here, too, as well, is he's checking Peter. Or, excuse me, not Peter. He's checking Simon. He tells him, look, both of you got healed. Both of you. It wasn't just one of you that got healed. Both of you got healed. And so what he was really telling Simon, hear me now, what he was really telling Simon was this, is I loved you even when you were a leper. See, the Pharisee tries to earn his way to God. And sometimes we can fall into that pattern of trying to earn our way to God. It's true. It happens. None of us are happy being in sin. None of us are happy being in, in a sinful state, right? None of us are. But at the same time, God reached out to us when we were still lepers. God called us. God qualified us. Come on, somebody. God qualified us when we were still lepers. And Simon, he had returned to being a Pharisee. He had forgotten that he himself was a leper. He had forgotten it, so Jesus had to remind him a little bit. huh? He reminded him that, hey, I've qualified you as a leper. I loved you and I called you. See, the difference between the two was in their response. That was the difference here. Simon went on to be a Pharisee trying to earn righteousness. And the woman, Mary, she knew she would never be worthy. Huh? She knew that she would never measure up. But if Jesus loved her like that, then she would give all she had in that state. Hear me now. She would give all she was in that state. See, I titled this message, Simon Says. And do you know... What Simon says, what Simon the leper says to me, it tells me that I'm enough. It tells you that you're enough. It tells us that even as lepers, we're enough. God still called us. God left us a message in the scripture. You're enough. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil, he, you know, God knows our struggles. God knows what we're not. Huh? And he still wants us. He still qualifies us. And see, I want to tell you something, that sometimes we feel real unhappy with ourselves. Come on, let's be honest, right? We don't see ourselves measuring up. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes Jesus is not 
where we think he's at, where you think he's at. They come to church looking for God. Sometimes God's at leper's house. Sometimes God's having dinner where we least expect it. Don't belittle yourself. Huh? You're not that insignificant. You're not not to God. Huh? You can do something for God now. You can do something now for God in the state that you're in now. I thank God that God doesn't wait for us to get it all together. I thank God that he still allows us to play ball as we are. We got to learn to love ourselves. We got to learn to see ourselves how God sees us. Huh? I think sometimes that's why we're unhappy because we don't see ourselves like God sees us. And a lot of times we're trying to be something that we're not. Now, does that mean we stop changing? Absolutely not. Does that mean we stop growing? Absolutely not. What it means is this, is that you're still qualified now. I want to end with this story. It's a, it's a, maybe they can come to the piano. It's not a long message at all. But I really feel this heavy on my heart, what I'm telling you. Mainly because I think most of us feel like we got to be somewhere to do something for the Lord. We have to be somewhere to participate. A lot of times we, you know, we don't feel that way. We don't feel like we qualify. God forbid in a ministry like ours, you feel that way. Because Victory Outreach was designed for people like us. It was designed for that. It was designed for it. So that you and me would have an opportunity. So that me and you can have an opportunity to do a work for the Lord. In the state in the transition, in the process of becoming a man and a woman of God. God still wants us. God still loves us. He still qualifies us. And I want to end with this story. I remembered, and I've shared my testimony numerous of times. And before I got rededicated my life to the Lord, I was probably on about a year and a half run. And I was shooting dope every day, without fail, every day. And towards the end, I was shooting up so much that it had started to eat away at my arms. The drugs had started to put holes in my arms. And I mean, I would torn myself up, but I just couldn't stop. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Just couldn't stop. So when God touched me and delivered me, the effects were still on me. Right? Still had holes in my arm. And so for about a month, month and a half, I wrapped my arms in bandages, trying to help them heal. But I would wear, you know, long sleeves. But at home, you know, I would just have the bandages. And I remember that, you know, I was playing with my daughters, and they were really, really small at that time. And I was playing with them, and I remember, you know, they were like, oh, daddy, what happened? How do you explain to a three, four-year-old tracks, right? What do you tell them? So I did what most parents do. I lied, right? Don't lie. It's a sin. (laughs) But I lied. And I made up a story. I said, well, a tiger bit me. And they were like, whoa, right? They're like, so, you know, I left it at that, and I just continued on, right? Well, months later, the wounds had healed, right? 
I still got the scars, but the wounds had healed. And I remember one day we were driving, you know, my, my hands were on the steering wheel and my little girl, she looks over and she goes, Dad. I go, yeah. She goes, you don't have bandages no more. I said, no. And she goes, has the tiger ever come back? And I had to remember, I was like, what? <laughs> I had to remember the story I told her, right? That's why you shouldn't lie. <laughs> and she saw, Does the tiger, did the tiger ever come back? I thought about it and I said, oh. And then I really thought about it. I said, you know, yeah, tigers come back. But today I'm winning them. Huh? Today I'm winning them. Look at your life. Can I talk to you for a little bit? Look at your life. You're winning today. You're winning the tiger. Daryl, how long you been clean? You've been winning for 25 years. Huh? Toby, how long you been clean? 15 years. Alex, how long you been clean? Four months. Come on, somebody better celebrate. Frank, how long you been clean? How long you been set free? Frank. <laughs> Avalos. <laughs> how long you been saved? 25 years. Big range right there, right? But you're winning the tiger today. You're winning the tiger today. You made it to church. Huh? You made it to church? You're not in a bar tonight. Come on, somebody. You're not getting high right now. You're winning today. Simon the leper. Simon says you're qualified. Simon says you're enough. Simon says you're exactly who God wants you to be. Will you believe it, though? We don't need no Pharisees. We need Simons. We need people that are going to give their all. We need, we need Marys that are going to give everything. It's not because we're perfect. It's not because we got it all together. It's because God loved us. He called us. He set us apart. Will you bow your heads with me? Simon says, you're enough. Simon the leper. What would they say about you? Huh? I don't know what they'll say when I pass. But I know one thing they won't say. That I didn't give my all. Listen, I know how some of you feel. I know some of you feel inadequate. You feel like, man, this is, I'll never get over this. I know some of you are locked in battles. God knows it more importantly. But even in the midst of all that, I'm here to tell you, you're exactly who God wants you to be. And you're winning today. You're winning today. Don't be so insignificant. You're winning. There's some people that are not doing what you're doing. And you can encourage them. 
you can be a light to them. I thank God that he allowed me to win the tiger today. I may not be where I want to be. I may be it may not be everything that I strive to be. But every morning God wakes me up and says, Eric, you're enough. I called you when you were a leper and I loved you then and I love you now. And I'm here to tell you that God loved you then and he loves you now. He loves you now, just as you are. With all your struggles, with all your hangups, with all your problems, he still calls you. You have a purpose. You have a plan. You have gifts inside of you. He knitted you together with everything that you're supposed to be. He just wants you to understand it. That's it. You have a place in this church. You have a place in this ministry. You have a place here. This is your church. It's nobody else's. It's your church. He's just waiting for you to get it. The presence of God is really, really strong in this place. And I want to pray with you.